0: Welcome to The Wrong Kind of Mad.
1: Hello, and uh, well, I've been listening back to some of the other podcasts, and I'm a bit worried that we're not starting off by telling people what we're doing. So, just as I'm editing it, I'm going to throw this in at the beginning, this is is mine and Holly's attempt to talk to people who have some influence or some important things to say within the field of what is described as personality disorder. Now, me and Holly are not particularly attached to that label whatsoever, but we're recognising that it exists and it's out there, and a lot of care and treatment is based around that diagnosis But there are people, including us, who think that that diagnosis can be quite harmful to people. Um, So this is just our attempt to, again, speak to people in the fields who have some interesting things to say. Okay, that's a very clunky pre-introduction introduction. Wonder what the real introduction sounds like. Who are we talking to today, Holly Berrigan? Uh,
0: Dr. Mike Crawford. Who's he? He is a consultant psychiatrist and researcher, an all-round lovely man.
1: Lovely man. It sounds like you know this man.
0: Uh, I mean, probably not brilliantly, but I have met him a few times and had some very nice chats with him.
2: I
1: really like Mike as well. And Mike has jumped out for me as someone who's he's always seems to be researching medication around people who get a diagnosis of personality disorder not in a way that I think this is the best thing going he always seems really skeptical and is looking to find out if it's useful or not
0: yeah I think that's what I find quite interesting about Mike is that he's not going in with any kind of bias that wants to find that this is the magic medication that will work for everyone with this diagnosis it's if we are prescribing it why are we prescribing it and should we be Mm -hmm.
1: so he's he stands out for me as doing the study on lamotrigine so Mm -hmm. it was the biggest i've forgotten what rct stands for randomized controlled trial of lamotrigine and he found out that the effect was the same as placebo so There's not really much point in prescribing Lamotrigine.
0: And that's our favourite thing to tell people, isn't it? Thanks, Mike.
1: It it does make us look quite knowledgeable when somebody pipes up with with a Lamotrigine prescription. (laughs) (laughs) So he's done that. And then his next endeavour is to look at Clozapine. And I think me and you are both really sceptical about the value of Clozapine from people who get this diagnosis. Um, not least because we don't see it happening anywhere else than in kind of like tucked away private units. So you could argue that, oh, they're the most severe people in the specialist units, get the specialist treatment, and you could say they're people who are out of sight, out of mind with some wacky things going on. And i probably lean a bit more towards that. But, you know... I think th- there's some criticisms about Mike's study around Clozapine, but he is somebody who is trying to find out if it's useful or not. Um, but maybe that's that's a podcast for another day.
0: Well, that's not what we're talking to him about anyway. We're not. What are we talking to him about? I'm confused why you've even mentioned it. Oh. Uh, we're talking <laughs> to him about ICD-11. What's that? It's the International Classic... classification of diseases Mm -hmm. uh, which is a diagnostic manual yeah that people will use to diagnose people with personality disorder or now moderate mild and severe or the other way around
1: or cpcd yeah it's so so changes are coming in january (laughs) aren't they um And that was, Mike was a good person to be able to explain those changes as he was on the ICD-11 Committee for Personality Disorder. So let's have a chat to Mike, find out what's going on.
0: Yeah. We're on.
1: We're on. Okay, so Mike, thank you so much for doing this with us. Um, We often start off by asking people who they're mistaken for. And you've got a brilliant one. So are you ever mistaken for Mike Crawford, the West End actor?
2: (laughs) I am not. Although uh, growing up in the 1970s as a school kid in Liverpool, I have to say I was teased rotten for the fact that uh, Michael Crawford was, uh, obviously, and some others do have him, and it was really... It got very tiresome. But luckily, when the series ended in the uh, end of the decade, things eased off a bit.
1: So you were there praying for Michael Crawford's career to go down the pan as soon as
2: possible. I mean, I tried. I tried different strategies. I tried um, physical aggression, which was not successful. Got me into trouble. And I tried doing an impersonation, but that just seemed to uh, make the problem even worse. Do yeah. you?
1: Didn't develop any characteristics for slapstick comedy that could have been used. Do you, do you know? Seriously,
2: I did. I, 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 someone said, "You know, you should do an impersonation." That's a way of getting back at these people. And so I did. I, I ended up doing it, uh, like doing impersonations at school events and that kind of stuff. But, uh, mm-hmm. I'm just glad it's all in the past. <laughs> until, <laughs> today, <when key laughs>
0: until today, when you Keir, know. yes.
1: yeah, yeah, like to bring it up. Right Interestingly, we've done a bit of work in Manchester with a consultant psychiatrist there called Mike Crawford, who does get mistaken for you.
2: Well, it's such a common name. There's even another Michael Crawford at Imperial College. Okay. So cloning
1: yourselves and taking over the world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So we really wanted to talk to you today because we saw you as being somebody who was very au fait with the ICD-11 and personality disorder within that. Um, And I suppose at the moment... We've got the ICD-10 with 10 different types of personality disorder. You hit a number of criteria to get that type of personality disorder diagnosis. And and that's changing. And I suppose, first of all, we wanted to know what was the the motivation for changing the ICD-10 as it was?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's been some form of classification of personality disorder in the main international classification systems for many years. Uh, But for a long time, we've known that the system we have been using is poor. And it's poor for two main reasons, I think. The first is that the existing systems are all based on the idea of personality types. Now, that might be borderline personality disorder type, of course, the one we're perhaps most familiar with as paranoid personality disorder or avoidant or dependent. And it was based on the idea that there were, People who had these characteristics that made them seem like a dependent person or a borderline person. But that isn't what it's like in real life. Because whether you've got personality difficulties, personality disorder, or no particular personality difficulties, we are all unique. And we're all made up of different personality facets. So, you know, we're all a bit outgoing or not outgoing. We're all complex combinations. And these types that are in systems like the old uh, ICD system, they they, they don't really exist. So that seems like a poor basis for a classification system. The, The other thing that's really problematic about the existing classification system is that you have a threshold. So you may have some difficulties, but unless you meet a threshold, you don't have the disorder. And if you do have a degree of problems with your personality, then you get this label of personality disorder. And so you're either personality disordered or not. And some people have tremendous uh, difficulties with interpersonal relationships and negative feelings about themselves. Some people have got such difficult problems that they really struggle to, to cope in the world. And other people who meet the diagnosis of personality disorder have relatively mild problems, which mean that with some support or some advice or help from friends, they can get by. And, and you know when you look at diagnoses like depression, uh, or other conditions, we're used to the idea of thinking about mild, moderate, and severe. So the new system for ICD-11 uh, is is fundamentally based on this idea of severity, so that, that not everyone with personality disorder would have the same degree or extent of problems.
1: So that big, long pause is because me and Holly talk <clears throat> in for each other all the time <laughs> I'm really trying to <laughs> make sure we share it out equitably. Um, do you want to go? No. Oh. So there was the idea of taking out all of the different types, but borderline remained, and it seemed like there was some controversy about that. Can you can you help us understand what <laughs> took borderline out and brought it back? <laughs>
2: Absolutely, there was controversy because uh, Peter Tyra, who chaired the group, uh, and myself and colleagues on the group, uh, you know, felt that the these types, including borderline, really don't add up. You don't see you, you don't see people who meet classic borderline traits in mental health services without having other difficulties in relation to personality. So, um, so so we were we were very keen to promote a system that was based on severity and then looked at trait domains, which is something we might say something more about later. But. Um, um, So the committee made its recommendations to the uh, World Health Organization and they reviewed them. And what happened was that uh, many people, many researchers who were working in the field of personality disorder said, you can't get rid of borderline personality disorder because we've been using it for the last 20, 30, 40 years. And there's a whole range of research that's been developed and completed that looks at the etiology of borderline personality disorder and its treatment. We have an evidence base for the treatments that help people who meet the characteristics of borderline personality disorder. And they were very concerned that if we went to an entirely new system that didn't have borderline in it, this would prevent further progress in relation to the study of of borderline personality disorder and its treatment. And I, I do have some sympathy with that argument because it is true because... Remembering, we're just using names here to describe complex phenomena. It's not like any of these things are real. They're just human constructs, ways of describing things to make things easier for people. And and, and there is a a good body of evidence about the factors that lead to the progression of uh, borderline personality disorder and interventions that that help people with that that condition. So so that was the reason why this borderline type remains in the the ICD-11.
1: And was it quite contentious? Was there... Um, <laughs> I
2: don't
1: know, were, were people falling out over it? or
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I was at meetings and conferences where people stood up and said, you can't be doing this or you have to do it. And people, people took kind of opposing sides. Um, having said that, I was never one of those people who was shouting very loudly because I think that finding a language that describes people's difficulties and helps them get support that they are looking for or they may need is really important. But I remind myself that these names, you know, they are not, we're not talking here about examples in other areas of medicine, where well, you can do a blood test and find out if someone's got a, a health condition. We're dealing with uncertainty and we're dealing with language and we're dealing with what matters to people, including people who use services. So, so some people get very focused on diagnoses, but for me, that's never been the key issue so at the moment if you were somebody
1: who's got a diagnosis of emotional unstable personality disorder you in theory would meet a, a set of criteria and an EUPD would be your diagnosis from January what what will they notice being different
2: well I think people won't notice anything different uh, because You know there are two ways that we think about the names that we give to people's mental health difficulties. There's the conversations we have, and then there's the way that things are recorded. Now we are required as clinicians to record diagnoses in electronic patient record systems, and that is important because you know at the moment, for instance, through the recording of eating problems, we're seeing that the number of young people with eating problems is increasing in the context of the pandemic. So. So having a record of the difficulties that people come to health services with is important, and that's one of the main aims of the ICD system to have a sensible, sensible plan for that. Um, but actually, a lot of people, and I'm sure Holly, you may have experienced, others have experiences, will have had a lot of contact with services where there hasn't been a lot of discussion about diagnoses. So many people will continue to receive or not receive care from mental health services without there being much explicit conversation about a diagnosis. But you're right, from January, when clinicians are recording the diagnosis of the person that they're seeing, they will begin to use the ICD-11 system. So rather than giving the label emotionally unstable personality disorder, they'll be giving a label of mild, moderate or severe personality disorder. And they'll still have that option of indicating borderline personality disorder if they choose to.
0: Will services see this as an opportunity for kind of a mass discharge of people that they deem in that moment to be mild?
2: Um, well, you know, we we both know, don't we, that um, many people who have got uh, interpersonal difficulties and negative things about themselves, who have these complex emotional health difficulties, get a poor response from services. Oh. Uh, many people look for more than they're offered. And I think that's that was true ten years ago. I think it continues to be the case. I don't see the change to um, uh, ICD 11 having an impact on that. If anything, I'm more optimistic about it. Which is that um, we we need to think about the response we provide to people based on the on the severity, on the on how complex the problems are. And and there are some people who have milder difficulties for whom you know, offering 18 months of uh, group-based psychological treatment, it would be a heavy-handed response. Uh, And there are other ways, I think, of helping and supporting people that don't involve those uh, interventions which which might be reserved for people who have got more severe problems. I mean, we might also mention medication, but um, there are many people who have got severe personality problems who take medication, but I've been trying hard to work with colleagues to reduce the use of medication and people have got mild and moderate problems and i hope that beginning to see these difficulties for the levels of severity that we, we we recognize in patients that will help us uh, target interventions in a, in a better way
0: so if people um if people have a diagnosis of mild personality disorder um and then reach a point of crisis would their diagnosis shift along that kind of scale of severity
2: or that's that's a really important point because um because personality and its difficulties are not fixed and whilst we tend to be the kind of people that we are throughout our lives and you know all three of us can attest to that don't we you know we've all got our personality traits and we don't lose them or develop new ones halfway through life but the the extent to which our personalities affect our functioning may change according to the amount of stress we're under life events we're experiencing and so there will be patients who currently have a diagnosis of severe personality disorder who in five or ten years might have a diagnosis of moderate or mild And, and i think that's a really important principle to establish which is that you know we don't change very much in terms of the people we are but the degree of our personality related problems may change a lot depending on how old we are or on the social circumstances and stresses that we're experiencing
1: So, can you help us understand what the new system looks like? So, you talked about trait domains, and yeah, can you can you help us?
2: Yeah, so what will be going on? Yeah, so in ICD eleven, it starts off with a broad definition of personality disorder, which is not dissimilar to that used in ICD ten and in the American system as well. And it says that if people have these difficulties we should record them as having mild, moderate, or severe personality disorder based on the degree of impairment uh, that's in social functioning and also in relation to the level of risk to self and risk to others so that someone who uh, finds it very difficult to maintain any relationships in their life and there have been times when they have uh, harmed themselves or others to, to a severe degree that might have endangered life, You know, they will end up with a diagnosis of severe personality disorder. But if over a period of years things change and the person uh, is able to uh, have interpersonal relationships which are less impaired and uh, there are fewer risks to themselves and others, then that diagnosis might change to moderate or mild. So The focus of ICD-11 is on establishing the degree of severity and then it's described as an option. So it won't be the case in all instances, but perhaps in services that focus on helping people with personality difficulties, clinicians will be asked to indicate trait domains. And these trait domains are combinations of personality traits which do tend to cluster uh, around things like um negative affectivity which is a bit of a mouthful isn't it but negative affectivity is you know long-term difficult feelings about yourself feelings of frustration and anger and temperament uh and so these clusters will be assigned to people based on uh their main personality difficulties so
1: with the ICD eleven coming in, there's going to be the diagnosis of complex PTSD that hasn't been there before. Do you think people who would have got an emotionally unstable personality disorder diagnosis in the past will now be categorised in that, or not?
2: I think I think some people will be. I mean, firstly, I think it's great that in the last twenty years there's been greater recognition, proper recognition of the long-term consequences of severe trauma. And this is something which you know, was, was, was ignored for too long. Uh, whether it's psychosis or depression or anxiety or personality problems, you know, trauma has, has its effect on, on mental health as, as, uh, throughout life. Um, now, you know, to make a diagnosis of complex post-traumatic stress disorder, people must have been exposed to a trauma Uh, They must have post-traumatic symptoms like uh, intrusive memories, flashbacks, nightmares. And there must be an impact on personality. Uh, And that might be problems with mood or low self-esteem or difficulties in sustaining relationships. Now, many of the people that I work with, and I'm sure this is true for others, you'll see people who have definitely had exposure to trauma in their early life. Mm -hmm. And you'll see how that's had an impact on their personality, on the way they feel about themselves and interact with others that not all the people I see still have those symptoms of trauma, of post-traumatic symptoms like intrusive memories or flashbacks or nightmares. So some people will meet the criteria for complex PTSD and other people won't. And there has been some research in this area, and it suggests that maybe a quarter of people who are currently receiving treatment from specialist personality disorder services were unlikely to meet this diagnosis of complex post-traumatic stress disorder.
1: So I, I could picture that with that, you could see fewer people um, getting a personality disorder diagnosis. But then I wonder if the expansion from a binary, you've got it or you haven't, to mild, moderate, severe, I wonder if if that will cancel that out. I mean, it, it, in your kind of uh, view, will there be more people diagnosed with personality disorder given the breadth of the criteria now?
2: Yeah. So this is an area where there has been some research and uh, it's been fairly small studies, but there's been work in the UK that has applied the ICD-10 and the ICD-11 system to the same patient groups. And they find that it doesn't have an impact on the number of people who have meet criteria for personality disorder. In other words, that the proportion who currently meet a diagnosis for ICD ten personality disorders is similar to that that will meet the, the criteria in ICD eleven. Um, but having said that, I think we need to remember that you know most people who have got these complex mental health difficulties don't get any diagnosis, and there are lots of patients who are currently receiving drug treatments that are usually ineffective or people who are not getting the psychological treatments that can help people with these difficulties because people haven't made a complete diagnosis and formulation. So, you know, I hope that more people do uh, end up with a diagnosis of personality disorder in the new system because at the moment, some people don't have that diagnosis and are being denied the treatments that might help them.
1: Okay. So, if we've had a system where it was binary and you had it or not, and you had to have a significant amount of distress and impairment to get the diagnosis, it seems bonkers to me that if you then kind of say, it doesn't have to be that severe, it doesn't have to be binary anymore, you can have lesser difficulties and still qualify for this diagnosis, It that would seem to me that, that lots more people would qualify.
2: Than okay, yeah. So... Um, The threshold for making a personality disorder diagnosis, a mild personality disorder diagnosis in ICD-11, is the same as the threshold to make any personality disorder diagnosis in ICD-10. What is different about ICD-11, though, is that there is a new um, descriptor which has been introduced called personality difficulty. Now, that's not a medical diagnosis, but it is something that might be recorded on a person's notes, which would indicate that... A person has a way of being with other people or uh, being with themselves that can create difficulties, but there are not substantial difficulties at this time, which gives people a flavour of what the person's personality might be like. But but to reiterate, the threshold for mild personality disorder in ICD-11 is the same as the threshold for any personality disorder in ICD-10. So no, I mean, I guess that that's to to have the idea that mild sounds, oh, it's it's not very important. But no, mild personality disorder is significant, in which there is clear impairment in a person's ability to make and sustain relationships with others, or has a way of reacting to themselves and being within themselves that that, that makes it difficult for them to lead their lives in a in a, a healthy way.
1: So a bit less that it expands to cover loads of people, and a bit more we've never had a way of talking specifically about people who
2: have very severe difficulties. Exactly, exactly. So ICD-11 is a way of uh, further describing the severity of people who had personality disorder according to the old diagnostic system, not a way of expanding the definition.
1: So given that a lot of people worry that a personality disorder diagnosis is a subjective judgment from clinicians who find them hard to help, or perhaps even don't like them. Is, is there a risk that personality difficulties could be used in that fashion? Um, that would be my worry, I think, that it kind of gets tagged on and it illuminates something, perhaps a bit more about the clinician relationship than about the person that's... that's psychiatrist in seeing?
2: I mean I, I think that uh, this, this is a, a problem for the mental health in general that uh, you know that, that we are dealing with people's psychology, uh, the, their feelings about themselves, their reactions to others and these things are dynamic aren't they because a person can have a very difficult relationship with one person uh, and a very good relationship with another so you can have a Psychiatrist getting very frustrated I can't work with this patient and they see someone else and things go very well but you know the essence of personality disorder is that problems are widely distributed they're, 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 they're seen across relationships so there must never be a situation in which an individual has a problem in a relationship with a clinician or another member of their family or something and ends up people talking about personality. So that's totally inappropriate. You know, personality is about our tendency within ourselves and our relationships to have patterns of interaction. So, you know, if you're scared of someone, that doesn't mean you've got personality disorder, it might mean that they're a scary person. You'd only think about personality disorder as a diagnosis if someone had a fear of all relationships or nearly all relationships. So, yeah, I mean, look, you know, sadly psychiatry's got a bit of a history, hasn't it, of, of, of using labels in ways which are unhelpful for people. And there'll be plenty of opportunity to do that in the future, and we need to guard against that. But a proper assessment of personality I think especially using the ICD-11 system gives us the potential to have a more nuanced and a more appropriate way of thinking about people's difficulties.
0: Will people use that assessment process, though? Or will it be similar to how it frequently is now where there's a young woman that self-harms and then she gets given a diagnosis of personality disorder?
2: Um I, I don't know what your experience is, but my experience where I work is that for, for every incident like that, there are five or 10 incidents where people have significant personality difficulties, patterns of uh, problems in relationships, negative feelings towards themselves that that aren't recognized and that people don't have conversations about what it's like to struggle in your relationships with other people. because, And again, we're not talking about individual relationships here, are we? We're talking about All relationships in life, a fear that people are going to reject you, for instance, you know, not just in a relationship with someone who you have a problem with, but but actually across your life. Always wondering if the people you're speaking to uh, care for you, take you seriously or are going to dismiss you. Um, So I see far more examples where, where people are receiving help without due consideration for personality and the implications that have for treatment rather than people getting kind of quick labels.
1: And I suppose this echoes Holly's point a bit in that, you know, <laughs> sometimes I think we see the diagnosis given out quite quickly. And I suppose what will what will motivate psychiatrists to start thinking about this in a different way? What will be the big push for something to change? Because, like you kind of said, you know, patients probably won't notice that much difference. <laughs> and part of me thinks that because I don't know if anything that difference is going to happen, um, but will it?
2: Um, I don't, ultimately, I don't don't believe that the difficulties in the system are around the names and the diagnosis. I believe the difficulties are in our capacity to provide support for people who've got significant uh, difficulties. And it's difficult to predict the next few years, isn't it? But it's impossible to think that it's going to be anything other than pressure on NHS resources as we cope with the effects of the pandemic and um, and the effects of long COVID and, uh, and the, the, the pressure on, on physical healthcare services. Uh, but I think a lot of people have seen how when you've got services in place that are properly funded and staff who have made positive choices to work with people who struggle in their relationships with others, people can get good quality care. So, I don't think the issues will be about the labeling. The issues will be about the availability of good quality care. Now, does ICD 11 make it easier or harder for people to get the kind of support that might benefit them? Not, I, I think it has the capacity to make that easier. I'm going to edit this a lot. I have to edit
1: this
0: a lot. I'm trying to speak and then you're breathing very loudly. It's very difficult to know.
1: Okay, I'm- well, <laughs> go. <laughs>
0: Um, so with the inclusion of cptsd will people with an existing diagnosis of personality disorder be able to contest that diagnosis and potentially change it to cptsd
2: i mean if the question is can it happen yes it can
0: should it will it
2: well i say i think i've said already I mean, I, I can appreciate that if I had the p- problems which were consistent with this diagnosis of complex PTSD, I might prefer that diagnosis. Because I think it what it does is it reminds people that people don't have personality disorder for no good reason. You know, then again, people don't have depression for no good reason. They don't get schizophrenia for no good reason. You know, if really, if are we really at a stage where we have to remind people that that people have emotional health difficulties, have them for reasons to do with relationships and experience and and neglect, deprivation. Uh, You know, every mental health diagnosis should have something in it which says, you know, you don't just get this because you've decided you want it or just by chance. You know, all all our lives are shaped by our experiences, aren't they? Mm -hmm. And and I think complex PTSD is a reminder of that. But I don't know, do do people hear the label personality disorder and think, oh, yeah, that people have chosen to do that. People have chosen to have, you know, difficult, chaotic relationships with others because it's, you know, really? I think people do work
1: quite hard to erase people's histories, though. And I think that's when you get people kind of talking about typical PD, just behavior and. I think, you know, to, to cope with what's in front of them, people have to erase the reasons why people have ended up in services.
2: Well, I mean, but but let's be frank, you know, if, if someone has no trust in their relationships with others and if someone feels that most people they speak to are going to try and reject them, then... As we both know, helping people who experience those problems is not easy. And whatever diagnostic term we use, however, whatever language we use to describe people who really... And I've had experiences of seeing someone for the first time and that person saying, "I, you know, they, they had a lot of ideas about me, about the fact I was going to try and reject them at a time when I was trying to engage them in a psychological treatment. And early on in my career, I think... My goodness me, how can that be that someone has so many thoughts and feelings about me without having met me? Now, working in those relationships is challenging. And I don't think the challenge is primarily about the term that we use to describe those problems.
1: And and I think I'd agree. Um, But I think often personality disorder is the name that is put on those problems (laughs) to locate all the difficulties in the one person Um, because i think what you talk about is thinking how can this person have so many ideas about me whereas i think a lot of people think you know i I come to work to do good things and be helpful and this person's telling me i'm hurting them you know and i think that's really hard for staff to cope with and it's it's Mm -hmm. so much easier to locate all the blame in the person who is the problem
2: i (laughs) mean Do people really go into mental health services without being interested in why people experience the things they they experience? I mean, surely there are enough people out there that we can have a workforce of people who are genuinely interested in trying to understand people's difficulties and and the reasons that have led to those difficulties. And and I think I'm I'm with you
1: a lot. Do you know, and, and I think when when people have kind of said to me, you know, it, it's not like that out there, I then have to contrast that with kind of like going to a CMHT and people saying, we don't work with those people mm-hmm. and we're all going on structured clinical management training, but none of us want to do it because none of us want to work with that group. And I kind of think, well, how how can you say that? How can you be so confident mm-hmm. to say that out loud and think, think it's all right?
0: Um, I think we forget that these are people that have been overworked are completely burnt out have minimal support are poorly paid frequently you know nurses haven't had a pay rise for 10 years it makes sense that people get to the end of their tether quite quickly
2: yeah I mean another experience I've had partly as a result of the pandemic is that I, I've been working in a service a crisis service for the first time rather than especially service people with personality problems and uh, so you, you see people who've getting maybe a, a call every 10 minutes and having to try to do something in 10 minutes. And, um, and so, I, so I do see the way that historical or current diagnosis can affect those quick decisions that people make about who gets what. But there is an expansion of services for people with complex emotional needs and personality disorder at the moment. It's not going to mean that everyone has difficulties is going to have their needs met. But I, I'm optimistic that if those services are properly organized, more people will get something helpful.
1: So, thinking that you described that service as complex emotional needs um, rather than personality disorder, do you think the term will survive, or you know, is is there enough opposition to that way of describing people that it will change in time?
2: I mean, I think in Britain things are changing quite rapidly, uh, and there is a recognition that many people find, many people with lived experience find this label unhelpful, and. And to be honest, I've been working with colleagues in complex case services, and there have been other names that have been used historically for for, for in, trying to engage people with with personality-related problems. So I think that's going to speed up. And whether it's complex emotional needs or complex PTSD, whatever the phrase is, I think I think these is going to become more common. But it does take us back to this fundamental point, doesn't it? That if we ad- Adapt, if we adopt a different language like complex emotional needs and the services and the reactions don't change, then we'll be in the same situation in a few years' time, won't we? Because people say, oh, I've got someone on the phone with complex emotional needs, you know, what are we going to do? And, and, yeah. and yeah. we'll quickly transfer some of those ideas based on frustrations about the availability of services and the approach that might be needed to help people with different problems.
0: I think that's very much my fear with the idea of changing the, what we call something, because it will just transfer to whatever the new thing is. The underlying problem doesn't go away, does it?
2: No, that's
1: right. I think for me, um, in areas where there's been lots of stigma, like the area kind of learning difficulties, I think once we've moved away from labelling the person so more on imbecile um and started talking about the difficulties that seems to have brought about a modicum of change perhaps <laughs> um and, and i wonder if that might happen with personality disorder um, but yeah it, it, I, no, I don't I, think I, the name I, is the biggest problem
2: <laughs> it, it's not the biggest problem but it would be great wouldn't it if in the next few years we did have this change in the way we describe services and people's difficulties and that was combined with better services it could be a It's not not a new start. It's another attempt. When you look back at how things have developed over the last 20 or 30 years, I do think there have been some positive steps, and this might be another one.
1: One of the pieces of work that you've spent a lot of time doing is looking at medication for people who get this diagnosis. And I'm always kind of really curious that if you look at the prescribing standards and the NICE guidelines, it's very clear about not using long-term antipsychotics, that there isn't a medication for this diagnosis, and yet the people me and Holly meet are rattling with uh, with pills and potions. What, what what's that disparity about?
2: I mean, I think that the results of the study that we did, looking at lamotrigine and placebo, helped to shed light on that because um, what we found in the in that study, the labor study was that there was a a considerable reduction in symptoms of emotional distress amongst people with borderline personality disorder who took the motrogen and also those who took placebo. So giving people a pill, particularly when they're feeling at their worst, really wanting something, feeling ignored, rejected, meeting a clinician saying, look, I'm going to prescribe you something. I think this may help your mental health can be a huge relief for people. And if people have follow up and they check on side effects and have some kind of actual care that's delivered alongside the treatment, that is a powerful intervention. So I've spoken to to, to many people who said, you know, I'm convinced lamotrigine works. I've given it to many patients and I've seen them improve. Mm
0: -hmm. And that's what
2: we found in the study, that that improvement is the same as the improvement that's given with a tablet that's got nothing, no medicine in it. Uh, but if it's given with optimism, I mean, nice guidelines talk about instilling optimism. How do you instill optimism? It's not easy. Actually, sometimes giving people a pill helps the clinician describe optimism for the patients. But you know, if it was if medications didn't have side effects, if they didn't cause weight gain and rashes and blood disorders, it would be fine. But they do, you know, and you don't want to expose people, particularly to long-term antipsychotic medication, given the effects it has on their physical health.
0: Mm.
1: So, given that you know it, it could be the extra uh, quality of a relationship because you're following up on medication, would it would a good control to be giving people a pill and giving people nothing, but still following up? You know, that's, that that could it be that it's the the quality of the relationship as opposed to the giving of some token that that brings about the change?
2: I I think when people are in a state of crisis, you know, we've all been in a crisis, haven't we? People who've got emotional stability have been in more crises than many other people. But when I've been in a crisis, it's really horrible. And I'll speak to someone I know and they're not able to get me out of a crisis. I'm still feeling upset. I'm really looking for someone who's going to say to me, we talk about containing anxiety, don't we? It's a simple concept. But you know, you want someone to contain your anxiety to say, look, I'm taking this seriously. I'm going to do something. I'm going to check on how that's going. If you and you start have that conversation, someone who says, "I can see you're in crisis. It must be really hard." I'll see you in a couple of weeks' time. It doesn't cut the mustard. There is something about that act of giving a pill, which I think really does help contain anxiety. And we need to find non-medication methods for trying to achieve the same effect. And that's not easy.
0: <laughs> well,
2: good luck with putting the podcast together, and thanks for letting me hear a little hear it before you finalise it just in case there's something I I've said which seems
0: wrong. I don't think it was I now. you were you were great. Go. Oh,
1: I always like talking to Mike. He's very hey. eloquent and passionate. And um, I don't always agree with him, but It it, it genuinely comes across as somebody who really wants the best for the people Mm. he's working with.
0: Yeah. I like Mike a lot.
1: (laughs) So we've we've established that we like Mike. um, (coughs) Probably the thing that will jump out at me more than anything else is the idea that mild personality disorder is the same as personality disorder now. I think that message will get lost. Yeah,
0: that is my concern, yeah. And I think, which is why I asked the question about, is this going to be a mass discharge of people that we now deem to be mild? Mm. Because I think people don't want people with this diagnosis and services as, as it is, you know? And if if they're now being considered as mild, well, you don't, mm. you don't need any intervention. What are we yeah. doing for you? Nothing. You don't need a CPA. Goodbye. I think that may well be the case. Mm. And I hope hope it isn't.
1: It it, it will take a lot to kind of say that if somebody's got a mild label, they are the same people you are working with. Um, Because I think we see people with personality traits written after some of the diagnosis, and I wonder if they will start getting a mild label. I wonder about the personality <clears throat> difficulties tagged on to people that services just struggle to help.
0: Yeah. And I, I wonder about the psychiatrists and psychologists that are reluctant to diagnose people with personality disorder. Will this then kind of give them a push to do it in a way? Mm. If if they can use it as a, a mild. I don't I don't know. I don't know. Don't know how
1: helpful it will be. Mm. One of the other things I think about is, you know, so you and I have met a lot of people who would have some difficulty in the community, and then they go into a place where they're forced to stop doing what they do, and then it's crisis time. And I wonder how many
0: severe now. (laughs) Yeah, lock them away.
1: But how many people will say, gosh, this person had mild difficulties in the community and since we've started helping, it's got severe, (laughs) let's let them back to the community rather than let's stick them in the severe PD house. Um,
0: (laughs) Yeah, that is a concern. That is a concern.
1: And interesting, the stuff about uh, medication in there, Um,
0: and I, you know, I can really see his point that you know, prescribing validates someone's experience in a way. You've heard that something is terrible, and you have done something to intervene in some way, yeah. rather than oh, that that's that's a shame. Bye.
1: <laughs> but I wonder if you have to say that's a shame. Bye. But and I also wonder about this tablet that I have got here. I know that it's no difference than a smarty, but I'm going to give it to you, saying it will make a difference, <clears throat> knowing it won't. But you'll feel better. Well, I mean, you know, people
0: generally don't just start handing out lamotrigine willy-nilly because people are in crisis. There's usually a bit more mm. thought to it than that. Mm. <laughs> <no eyebrows> there. <laughs> but I guess I'm thinking more along, you know, benzos and stuff. Mm. Have some quetiapine, help me sleep. But at least
1: a benzodiazepine, I can imagine. Somebody can take that and feel a very instantaneous. I feel a bit calmer than I did 20 minutes ago. Um, whereas Lamotridine D, will you get that instantaneous thing? Is it a bit more about people spending time with you? And what would it be like to kind of say, right, I'm taking this seriously. We're going to meet up every fortnight for the next couple of weeks to make sure there
0: isn't the availability for people to do that though is there there isn't there there aren't the resources available that's the difficulty you know if we think about what joel paris was saying about when people are in crisis they should have access to day hospitals Mm. that's a helpful intervention we don't have any anymore Mm. most of them have closed
1: yeah or local to me four year wait for dbt
0: Exactly. So, what what are they supposed to do in that in that gap? Yeah. Between actually being able to receive an intervention that might be helpful, it might not be helpful.
1: Yeah, I don't. There, there's something about the pretense that knowing that it doesn't do anything beneficial other than the.
0: Deception. But you're you're talking <laughs> specifically about lamotrigine rather than medication as a whole. But then you
1: know what's the evidence base for the other medications as well? That's the how many people are taking long-term antipsychotics against the guidance that's out there, popping on weight. Most
0: yeah. people with this diagnosis, yeah,
1: and. It, it, you know, let, let's be really emotive about it. It's okay to poison people for years on end, knowing that it doesn't have that much effect because they feel better knowing they're getting something. There's something wrong with that, isn't there? But
0: then <laughs> <Depend>, we are... <laughs> but then we're lumping everyone and everyone's physiology together into one homogenous group, and that mm-hmm. isn't the way it works, is it? some things do work for some people whether that be a placebo effect or otherwise we Mm. don't know Mm. but some people find a benefit
1: yeah and i and i suppose it is that difference of let's try this and let's follow it up And, and and i suppose i just think that that group of people are not as common as the ones who you know take this and i'll see you in six months That's that's but then I think the
0: real, the the real awful heavy duty polypharmacy happens in inpatient units.
1: Yeah,
0: I think prescribing things in the community is a bit more measured.
1: Mm. It doesn't have the same follow up, though, does it? As inpatient,
0: yeah, you say that it doesn't have the same follow up, but you have a ward round every week Mm. and then. (laughs) <laughs> Just more and more is being added. <laughs>
1: but then, for whose benefit? And That's probably a, an episode in itself. And in fact, that probably is an episode in itself. Who can we get to talk about inpatient treatment? Let's get your go on and pick his brains.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Mm. Any further thoughts? <laughs>
0: Um no just Mike is very lovely
1: is lovely and very consistent with a, a run of lovely guests. So, uh, yeah, if, if people know of somebody who is fundamentally unpleasant um, and want us to talk to them, <laughs> we're up for your recommendations. So, thewrongkindofmad at gmail.com. You can get in touch with us on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook that we never use. And... Tell us what you think. We'd appreciate it if you subscribe. We would really appreciate it if you share the episodes so other people can hear what's going on in this area. And, yeah, if you want to tell us anything, we're really interested in your feedback. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye.